Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. family, happy new year. It is my incredible honor to introduce you to the person that's bringing our message today. Uh, Marcus, who you're getting ready to meet, is uh, not only an incredible Bible teacher, and not only is he taking time away from his family to come down from Chicago here to share the word with us in the new year, he's also a person of integrity, passion, and incredible commitment to the Bible. And he's just awesome. So Lake Point family, in this happy new year, would you please help me give a warm Lake Point welcome to Marcus Beachkey. Come on, Lake Point family. Well, thank you. And what is up, Lake Point? Happy new year to you guys. I, I was told that this was the ruckus service. Is that true? Yeah? Okay, then just out of curiosity, how many of you would say that you are just super stoked, like you're, you're jacked for 2020? Anybody? Yes. Okay. All right. All right, great. Well, I want to add a little bit more focus and a little bit more fire to that because I can tell you, wherever you're watching this from, whether online or somewhere else, guys, God is going to do something through the teaching of his word today in our hearts and in our lives. He's going to bring us more focus and he's going to bring us some more fire. And I've been praying for that. I've been praying for him to do something powerful in and through us. And so whether you are ready for 2020 or not, let's talk to God about it. Would you pray with me? God, even if we are coming here a mess... We did not come here to mess around. We came serious because we want to see what you're going to do in us. We want to see what you're going to do through us. And so we want you to know that we are well aware of this fact, that your word is useless unless it's applied in us. It's priceless, though, when it's practiced. And so we ask that you would please, God, please, would you prove that to be true today, right here and right now? Because we don't want to move into this new year to turn over a new leaf. We want to move into this new year to experience your new life, and we want to do that for Christ's sake. Amen? Amen. Now, um, I'm sure that you have already figured out, uh, judging by my lean build, that I am a vegetarian. Uh, This is is my resolution, one of these things, since four days ago anyway, that I'm trying to work on. I want you to know I'm kind of struggling with it, and I'd like some credit uh, about this if I can, because don't forget, I'm from Chicago. Okay, I'm from the Midwest, an area of the country where the state bird is sausage. Okay, so this is, I'm taking baby steps with this. And so right now, just to, just to be fully honest, I'm a vegetarian between meals. Uh, because if meat's on the menu, I'm, I'm struggling a little. So, so call me a meat-eating vegetarian, all right? Let's just, 
or, or how, let's just call me a vegetarian-ish, okay? Vegetarian-ish. Do you guys use that suffix down here in Texas, ish? It's kind of a weird thing, right? It's becoming more and more popular these last few years. People stick ish on the end of everything. Uh, I'll see you about two-ish, and then people show up around two o'clock, right? It's just, it's just kind of strange. You can be ish about a lot of things, right? Some of you here right now, you're awake-ish, right? You're, you're interested-ish. Uh, some of you are physically fit-ish, Right, you, you, can be, you can be ish about a lot of things, but there are certain realms where ish is banned. You cannot be alive-ish. Last funeral I did, uh, the guy was not dead-ish. Yeah, you can be alive or dead. Are you married? There's no ish, right? It's yes or, or no. Are you a parent? Yes or no, right? Do these genes make me look fat? Someone shouted yes. Hey, come on, man. There's no ish. There's never any ish about that, right? Are you a Cowboys fan? Sorry, that was a low blow. I'm sorry. Just getting back at that guy. But by the way, I want to apologize for the crushing defeat from the Bears last month for the Cowboys. I am so sorry-ish. Um, so now, you can see where I'm going with this. You can be ish about a lot of things, but you cannot be ish about other things, and you cannot love Jesus from the land of Ish. You cannot love and follow Jesus and be obedient Ish. You can't say, hey, you know, Jesus, I'm all about Jesus, but I'm faithful Ish. You cannot love Jesus and say you're committed Ish. If you've trusted in Jesus when it comes to his position and priority in your life, there cannot be any Ish. Tell him yes or tell him no. But don't sit on the fence. No, maybe, no middle ground, no ish. And so, guys, we don't have a ton of time, so if it's okay with you, I just want to go for the jugular. Friend, when it comes to Jesus in your life, are you living in the land of ish? You know what that's like. I like Jesus, but I'm too busy to spend any time with him. I'm chill with Jesus, but, but she's really cute. I dig Jesus, but my schedule's too packed to help the poor. I enjoy Jesus, but don't ask me to give because I got plans for my money. I appreciate Jesus, but my career really doesn't give me the time I need to really use my gifts to build the church. I think Jesus is cool, but don't ask me to reconcile with that person who hurt me. I love Jesus, but I see meat on the menu. I like Jesus, but I really like sausage. Now, guys, believe me, I get this. That's why I was able to kind of come up with those as fast as I, I am because I used to be something of a real estate mogul in the land of ish. But I've been working really hard and proactively with God's help to sell off some property. So can I just spend some time today coaching you on how to escape from the land of ish, how to cut up your passport and never to return, maybe about 30 minutes-ish, would that be all right if I do that? I wanna call you up into the best life because I believe God is trying to call us into the boldest life, and today we're gonna to understand that this is really the bullseye life. This is what God's asking us to engage, and to do that, have you ever been biblically mugged before? Does that, that happen down here in the South? That's when truth personified kind of pounces on you in a dark alley and just kind of punches you in the gut and, and kicks your butt. Does that, does that ever happen? Here, I'm, I'm sure it must happen here. That's what Paul did to me with this particular passage, and so open up your Bibles at your own risk. You ready for this? It's in Philippians chapter three. This is a passage where Paul, who's one of the pathfinders of our faith, he, he shows us how to escape the land of ish. And we're gonna walk down this dark alley together. It's Philippians chapter three, starting in verse seven. We've got it on the screens for you if you'd like to follow along. 
Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I now consider all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I consider them dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is, in fact, based on Christ's faithfulness. I want to know Christ Yes, to to really know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. And just boom, there it is. And guys, we're going to use this passage as a map to help us to be able to leave the land of Ish and to find out how to have a new center in our lives. One way to give Jesus the position that he deserves See, Paul uses business terminology here to show us his own personal kind of cost-benefit analysis of following Christ. And the bottom line is, there came a point in Paul's life where he developed a conviction where he came to really know, to really, really know that life is better, as he says, with Christ Jesus, my Lord, at the center. He's saying that knowing Jesus is an experience that's so transcendent, so incomparably valuable to anything else, that it far outweighs everything else, the loss of everything else. And so he went all in with Jesus and he never looked back, are you with me? Friends, I gotta ask this question therefore with where we are. What do you value more in your life than Jesus? What person, what position, what possession do you value more than having Jesus at the center of your life? What makes you say, hey Jesus, I love you-ish. You gotta pick your bullseye. Because I've been a pastor for two decades now and two things surprised me. How much people grow and how little people grow. And I found that the denominator is the same for each. God changes hearts, but you decide if you let them. And it all starts with choosing your bullseye. So let's do a quick and dirty assessment of your life. If you take out the handout you received when you came in, if you flip it to the back side, you're going to see a target and a little box that you could fill out. And I want to ask you to grab a pen and do this and really take this seriously because this will very, very much help you to specifically and pro- proactively apply what we're learning today. Take a look at that. See that box there? Make a list of the stuff that gets your attention, your time, your energy, your resources in that box. Don't overthink it. Like simple little quick words, food, money, power, sex, career, credentials, my husband, my wife, my kids, vaping, gaming, whatever it is, just pick something. Is Jesus in that list somewhere? You know, pick something, dating, my degree, fitness, whatever it is, just make a list of the things that capture your attention in your life right there in that box. And as you're doing that, notice that to the right of that box, you see a target. I think it's interesting about this that's important to to point out is that your life And a map of the land of Ish looks an awful lot like a target with a bullseye. The second step in this is after you make your list, then go ahead and mark your target. Put each of the things in your list on your target. The more attention or energy it gets, the closer it is to the bullseye. And here's the catch. Only one thing gets to be the bullseye. Only one thing gets to be in the center. Now, as you're working on that, I want to ask you, even as you're still filling it out, what's in the center for you right now? You know, I mean, we tend not to think about it because we can kind of default drift into the centers in our lives, but what's in the center for you right now as you're, as you're filling that out? Something is always at the center. 
And I might not know you, but here's what I know about you because here's what we all know. Whatever is at the center of your life determines the depth and the direction of your life. And Paul argues that only one thing belongs in your bullseye. And this is a little gutsy of him how he says this. Look at verse eight. I now consider all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I consider them, what's that word? Can you shout it out with me? What's the word? Beep. Yeah, that, that's how you're supposed to say it. I consider them beep that I may gain Christ. Now here's why I'm, I'm saying that, and, and this is just pure exegesis. You don't believe me? Study it for yourself, all right? I've studied this passage for years, and I'm blown away every time I come across this. This is a very, very unique Greek word. Skublon is the word, and it's translated, uh, I think, to not offend our sensibilities in most of our English translations here. But basically, this word is a slang term that's used for lumps of manure, filth, the portion of food that's rejected from the body, uh, the human body, by not being nourishing. It's human excrement. Yeah, it's that word. And the shock value is intended here. Remember, this is Paul writing this. And Paul's trying to shock us, especially since he's trying to contrast what the flesh produces with what God produces. So Paul throws down some vivid street slang here to describe all of his past achievements when compared to now knowing Jesus. He is literally saying this. Listen, he's literally saying everything else is a pile of stuff when compared to knowing Christ. Oh, it's in the Bible. Paul's final analysis is that everything else is beep compared to knowing Christ. Pause for dramatic effect. Make sure my mic has not been turned off yet. Are you guys still with me? Are you tracking with me on this? I don't know about you, but I just love how raw and real Paul is in this passage. It helps me. As I'm continuing to try to follow Christ, this helps me. He's saying as boldly as he can what he's learned the hard way. If Jesus is off center, you're off target. If Jesus is off center, you're off target. You're living in the land of Ish, and you cannot love Jesus from the land of Ish. So since whatever is at the center of your life determines the depth and the direction of your life, the best thing you can do, listen, the best thing you can do for your marriage, I'm talking the best thing that you can do for your parenting, best thing you can do for your business, for your body, is to leave the land of Ish, is to put Jesus at the center. Because here it is, life is better with Jesus at the center. The only way to escape from the land of Ish is to replace whatever's in the bullseye of your life with Jesus. And anybody else learn this the hard way? Oh my gosh, I have so learned this the hard way. In my, my early 20s, I was pursuing a career, uh, and this particular career was one that would just bring me really status and wealth, and because I was trying to please my dad. And those are never really good kind of factors to include in trying to choose a, a career, understand how, what's God's calling in your life. And so I was running after this, deliberately putting God on, on the back shelf, basically saying to God, have you ever done this? Like, no, God, I got this. I got my life figured out. And of course, because of that stupidity and arrogance, God allowed me to experience deep, deep pain. And he graciously shattered that lesser dream in my life. Another thing that happened at the same exact time was that I invested so much time and energy in a relationship. I was actually engaged to be married to someone, but the problem was it was the wrong someone. And my dear friends and even my parents were, were helping me to understand, uh, you know, I don't think that's the right person for you, but I, 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 I was ignoring that and I just kept running. And God caused me to experience such incredibly deep pain 
that he turned my life around through that crisis, through, through graciously shattering my lesser dreams. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but I gotta tell you, every time, every time I have put a person in my life's bullseye instead of Jesus, those relationships turned out dysfunctional. Every time I've put a position or a career in my bullseye ahead of Jesus, I've ended up disillusioned. Every time I put a possession or something in my bullseye in place of Jesus, I've ended up disappointed. Now why? Because those things put me in the express lanes to the land of ish, that's why. And they cause deep, deep pain. And I had to learn the hard way that you cannot love Jesus from the land of ish. And so it wasn't until one afternoon in August of 1995, after God had graciously shattered these lesser dreams, when I was alone in a hot, noisy third floor apartment in Chicago, that I decided to let go because I had to let go of my stuff and I decided to grab hold of Jesus and I decided to trust him with my life, to trust him for forgiveness and then for purpose in my life. And I can tell you that in that moment, God gave me the gift of a conviction and that conviction is what I'm preaching to you today straight out of God's word that life is better with Jesus at the center. And I can tell you that I have spent the last 25 years proving that conviction Testing out that bullseye reorientation so that now I can say to you with full certainty, I am fully satisfied with the person of Jesus. There's not one moment that goes by that I regret putting behind me those lesser bullseyes of my life. Not once have I regretted that. And you never will either. But friend, when Jesus is not at the center and when your bullseye is anyone or anything other than him, you're gonna end up disappointed, disillusioned, and dysfunctional every time. And often these things aren't even bad in and of themselves, but when we give them the central position of our life's bullseye, they morph into weapons of mass distraction and they teleport us deep into the land of Ish, guaranteed every time. So how do you leave the land of Ish? How, how do you do this? How do you put Jesus at the center? Take a look at verse 10. This is the most powerful way to leave the land of Ish forever. This is the best way to make sure that Jesus is at the center. It's the bullseye of this passage and I'm absolutely convinced it's actually the bullseye of the entire Bible. Here's what Paul says, it's just a few words. I wanna know Christ. I wanna know Christ. I'm gonna help us to understand what that means and what Paul is talking about in the rest of this passage because as we flesh out this holy lifelong obsession of Paul's, we're gonna understand what it means to really know Jesus. And as we do that, we're gonna understand what it means to put him at the center, to trust in him, to experience him, and even to desire him in our lives. So first, the way to really know Jesus is to center your trust in him. Just briefly, Paul tells us in verse nine that really knowing Jesus begins with letting go and grabbing hold, what many of us have already experienced. Paul says, actually, letting go of my righteousness through the law and grabbing hold of God's righteousness by faith in Jesus. It means letting go of trying to find life on my own and grabbing hold of faith in Jesus because Jesus and Jesus alone is the source of our rescue and our redemption. And this is such a bold wake-up call to religious people who try to say, you know what, I think I can figure this out on my own. I, I think I can attempt to stand before God on my own effort, on my own merit. Paul is saying here, that just cannot be done. It can't be done. We're gonna finish our time together this morning with an opportunity to really know him. Are you thinking about whether or not that's a step God wants you to take? Whether you wanna take that step with him? 
See, when, when Paul let go of lesser stuff in his life and he grabbed hold of Jesus, trusting in him, that relationship with Jesus created this dramatic reorientation in his life and really knowing Christ became the central drive of his life. Let's dive into that. This is where I want to spend the bulk of our time with this particular piece that leads us into this way of, of putting Jesus at the center of our life when we're experiencing him. Here's what I mean by that. When Paul says, I want to know Christ, you need to know that he's using... Uh, uh, there are two different Greek words that talk about knowing something. He's using a specific one. There, there's one Greek word that refers to intellectual knowledge, like, like you know the dates uh, of a history exam, or like, like you know the, the digits of your phone number, okay, like intellectual knowledge. This is not the word that Paul uses here. It's the other one. It's the one that means experiential knowing, experiential knowledge, like you know what it feels like to be hungry, because you've experienced it. You know what it feels like to be thirsty because you've experienced it. You know your husband like you know your wife, like you know your, your best friend, like you know what it's like to have a broken heart or like you know what it's like to be in love. It's that kind of knowing and it's a personal relationship between the knower and the known. See, this is a call to experientially know the person of Jesus. In other words, what Paul is saying here, by the way he selects his words, is don't just study principles about Jesus when you could actually know the person of Jesus. Guys, it's not just a night and day difference, it's life or death difference. It's the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus, really experientially knowing Jesus. It's the difference between the meal and the menu. How many of you have ever gone to your favorite restaurant it's a food you just love. And you just sit there with a friend. You take, a, take out a couple of legal pads. And you just you start charting the, 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 the sentences in the menu. And you start listing all the ingredients. You're just, you're just kind of studying, just talking about the food. The, the waiter comes over to, to take your order. And, and you say, oh, no, no, thanks. We're good. We're, we're just talking about the food. We're just studying the food. What would you call somebody who does that? An idiot, right? A hungry idiot, too, Right? Guys, why do we do that when it comes to the spiritual realm? Eat the meal. Experientially know the food. Anybody tracking with me on this? This might help. Uh, I, I love to take around with me pictures of my wife, Annie. And um, today's actually her birthday, which is cool. And I'm going to do it up big when I get home to celebrate her. But, but, uh, but guys, I got to tell you, especially when we were first dating... I could not stop thinking about Annie. I could not stop thinking about uh, Annie, this, this amazing woman. And, and I gotta tell you, uh, I, I didn't wanna look at a picture of her. Uh, I didn't wanna read a book about her. I didn't wanna sing songs about her once a week. I wanted to experience her. I wanted to do life with her. I wanna understand what, what would make her uh, uh, hurt. I, I wanted to understand what she hoped for, what her future was, what she, what she dreamed about. I wanted to hear her giggle. She's got this infectious, loud giggle that's just so cute. She is petite, but man, she is a powerhouse. And I gotta tell you, as I've gotten to know her more and more, I've experienced her to be a part of my life. And after 23 years of marriage, I still want to experientially know Annie. And as I've been working on uh, my lifelong PhD in Anniology, I could tell you a ton about her personality. In fact, I'm going to do that right now. I told you she's petite, but man, she's like a powerhouse, like, like little, but like so is a stick of dynamite, right? And she's, she is so strong in her faith in Jesus. 
She inspires me to want to know him more every day. She is a prayer monster. She's probably praying for me and for you right now. She's an unbelievably kind and compassionate mother to our four kids. She's a ridiculous mom. She's, she's frugal, but she's also diligent. She's funny. Uh, she's so caring and thoughtful to me. But there's some things about her that are just so cute and kind of quirky. I'm going to tell you about a, a couple of them. One is, uh, when we go to bed, uh, she likes to read to be able to, to get sleepy. And so uh, she'll fall asleep and she'll just kind of lay the book on her, on her chest like this. And she'll have her glasses on. And, and, and I go to sleep a little after her. So I'll, I'll notice as I'm getting ready to turn in that she, there she is, kind of sitting up with the book and her glasses. And so I'll just do this, just real sweet and gentle, real, real, real sweet and kind. I'll say, sugar, honey. And this is what happens. Why are you waking me up? I was asleep. Couldn't you see? And it's like this. She gets angry with me for waking her up. Any other wives do that to their husbands? We don't want you to get hurt and roll over on your book and you could die. I mean, so I'm trying to <laughs> help her to, be, to sleep safely. That's all I'm trying to do. Another thing that she does, which was a point of contention early on in our marriage, it really was, was that I told you she's little, right? And a little person, how should a little person sneeze? Chew, right? Something like that. No, no, no. Not my Annie. My Annie does something that we have come to affectionately call a shout sneeze. So imagine yourself driving on a quiet country road at night, just the two of you, You're just driving along. It's peaceful, it's quiet. And then all of a sudden, Arch! That's how she sneezes. I'm not making that up. It's a shout sneeze. I've actually said, can you please warn me before you sneeze? Because I'm going to drive off into the ditch and I'll, I'll like get irritated. And so, so this is the way she warns me now. She'll hit me. Uh, and then she'll, she'll do the, Arsh! she like hits me. And I'm, can you not, and I guess it's not unfair of me because you can't say, hey, I think I'm about to sneeze. Right? You can't really do that. So she hits me. And then she does her shout sneeze. But I love her, guys. I'll tell you, she is petite, but she's powerful. She's been a part of an anti-human trafficking ministry for the last several years in Chicago. And she, she works with a team of people to help women who are dragged into that horrible way of life to find freedom. She actually partners with the FBI to be able to connect with, with women. She, she, she calls them and she'll have conversations with them, inviting them into a different kind of life, a life of, of freedom. She, she goes with teams of people out to the spas and massage parlors in Chicago to try to talk to the women that are there. She has gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with pimps on the sidewalks of the streets of Chicago. That's my wife. She loves Jesus and she wants people to experience his freedom. I could tell you a lot about my wife, Annie. But do you get it? Do you see where I'm going? Why would I want to study a picture when I could know, when I could experience the person? I think you know where I'm going with this. If Jesus is a person, that means he has a personality. So go with me on this. If someone were to ask you, like at a party tonight, you know, hey, uh, tell me about your experience of Jesus. I heard you're one of these Jesus people. What's your experience? How long would it take you to talk about Jesus? Would you be able to go into great nuanced detail about his personality, or would it be pretty much just a tweet? Oh, yeah, he's the son of God. Cool, right. He, even, he, he's my savior. Awesome, great. Could you go into great nuanced detail about how infinitely rich and deep his personality is? See, that's what it means to experience him as a person, not just to study him as a principle, but to experientially know him as a person. I think what would happen if you sought to really personally experience Jesus, if you really want to get to know him, you're going to encounter a person 
who has unbelievably rich kindness, but also, as I've experienced him, mind-bogglingly bold, the way he puts his finger on an area of my life and says, you gotta deal with that, man, and I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna do it with you. I found him to be infinitely powerful, but equally gentle. I found him to be gracious, to be wise, beyond belief, generous, kind, patient with me, relentlessly truthful, and I've come to understand more deeply every single week that I walk with him that he loves me with an irrational kind of love. In fact, one thing I really enjoy doing is to just think about this, to think about when Jesus was breathing his last breath on the cross, he was thinking about me. And then three days later, when Jesus' heart started to beat again and warm blood started to flow through his body, I think there was a broad smile that broke out on his face as he came back to life because he was thinking about me. He was thinking, I did it. I rescued him. We can be in relationship again. I think he was thinking about you. Guys, don't you want someone like that in your life? Someone who would go to any extent possible to be able to capture a relationship with you, to give you life again. Tim Keller once said, every other treasure in this world demands that you give your life to get it. Jesus is the only one, the only treasure who gave his life to get you. Doesn't that just blow your mind? You are more valuable to Jesus than his glory, his comfort, his position, his power. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given those up to gain you. That makes you Jesus' ultimate treasure. That makes you Jesus' bullseye. Is he your bullseye? Do you want to experience him? See, the maker of the universe gave up everything for you. He loves you and he longs to do day-to-day life with you. Guys, I'll tell you, one of the most practical, specific ways that you can begin experiencing Jesus more deeply in your own life is by reading scripture every single day. And I want to encourage those of you who are looking for something at the beginning of this year to start off on the right track, to gain some more focus in your life, some more fire in your life, to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest gospel. It would take you just a couple weeks to read through if you just pick a chapter a day. And you will see the personality and the love and the depth and the richness of Jesus Christ. And you'll experience him more deeply in your life. So I dare you to do that. See, when your knowing Jesus turns into experiencing Jesus, there's a dramatic change in your center and a total reorientation of your life away from beep towards something better, towards someone better. Friends, Jesus is so much more than a theological topic to be studied or a historical figure to be admired. He's a person to be followed and experienced, a person to be enjoyed and loved. And he does not love-ish you. He doesn't want you to love-ish him. He wants to be at the center of your life. And Paul tells us in verse 10 another way of experientially knowing Jesus. He says this, to really know the power of his resurrection. See, when Jesus is at the center of your life, you also experience his power in your life. Paul echoes this in Romans 8, where he talks about how this happens. He says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead also lives within you. Wow. Which begs the question, why is it that Christ's power seems to be the best kept secret in the church? My own personal pastoral sense on this is that less than 10% of us ever intentionally try to experience the power, and I mean the resurrection power of Jesus in our lives, in our daily lives. We, we walk around all week, weak. But Jesus chose to undergo the cross and overcome the grave, not just so that you can experience him personally, but also that you can experience him powerfully. 
He wants you to know in the midst of your depression or your anxiety or your addiction or a struggle in your marriage, he wants you to know his power. He wants you to know his freedom and his victory and his hope, and you can. It's another reason why life is better with Jesus at the center. And you put him at the center of your life by trusting him first, and then the more you trust him, you start to experience him. And the more you experience him, this is how Paul finishes up. Check it out. He says, I want to know Christ and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. And that this is just breathtaking to me. Paul came to really know Jesus so well that he actually developed a desire to die to those bad things in himself, to fully come into full life with Jesus. When he talks about dying to things and then all the way toward resurrection, he's talking about this process, lifelong process of sanctification or being made holy with Christ. And Paul wants to experience Jesus so deeply that he desires to partner with him in that painful process. In that difficult, lifelong process, he actually desires to work with Jesus to displace the lesser things in his life that are vying for his life's bullseye and replace them with the greatest thing, which is Jesus. He wants to give up lesser stuff and gain something greater knowing that it's hard work. But it's worth it because he's worth it. I don't know if you noticed this, that Paul called Jesus, he called him Christ Jesus, my Lord. That was back in verse eight. And Lord is the most common word used to refer to Jesus in the New Testament. Happened 720 times. It means master, someone who is in total authority over you. Jesus is the master and we are his servants. But kings have that privilege, don't they? Especially the king of all kings, right? Jesus is the Lord of lords. And he's not the Lord of lords-ish. Because he did not endure a crucifixion-ish to redeem-ish you, to experience a resurrection-ish, to someday return-ish, to reign-ish. No. He was, is, and forever will be the master of all masters. And Paul came to the conviction that this master doesn't invite us on a cruise. Instead, he calls us to take up a cross, to follow him into a life of sacrifice and surrender, to put him at the center of our lives, to forever leave the land of Ish. And Paul could not be clearer here that it's not a call to a life of comfort. But man, does this kick against our value of comfort, doesn't it? I mean, take a look at your list again. How many of those things on your list deal with your own comfort in your life? Hey, any of you uh, have race stickers on your car? Like you got like a 10K sticker or 26.2, you ran a marathon or something? Um, uh, I, I, I just put them all on there. I, I love to see people's reactions. When they pull up next to you at a stoplight, they, they look over and they're like, the guy looks like a vegetarian. He's got all these, you know. But how many of you put those stickers on your car? How many of you get annoyed by people who put those stickers on their car? Well, this is gonna annoy you quite a bit. I don't know if you heard about this, but a few years ago in Philadelphia, some creative people got together and they launched the Philly 0.0 Instant Gratification Run. <laughs> this is called the Non-Run Race. For those of us who want all the reward was zero risk, all the joy was zero effort. According to the race founder, we want to prove that with no hard work, no perseverance, and no discipline, anyone can be a winner. Here's a, an excerpt from a New York Times article. On race day, runners pick up their race t-shirts, pin on their numbers, and gather beneath a banner that says start and finish. <laughs> As rousing music plays, some wear sneakers and others flip-flops. Runners take their marks, some fueled by something stronger than Gatorade. An air horn bleats, and they surge merrily forward to the immediate praise of, congratulations, you just finished, and with a personal best time of one whole second. Now go grab and proudly wear your finisher medal. 
Guys, get this, 425 runners and 115 virtual participants signed up for this race. <laughs> One non-runner said, I have a lot of friends who run and I'm just tired of feeling left out. <laughs> Another said, this gives us a chance to engage in the after party festivities without being exhausted. The article wraps up this way. It says, the 0.0 race is an existential comment on zero engagement and zero responsibility, an embrace of entitlement and self-importance, a celebration of couch potato sloth. But now listen to this last line. Never underestimate people's desire to skip the journey and go straight to the finish line. Oh. Guys, this 0.0 mentality is so Subtle, but it's also the mantra of living in the land of Ish. And that's why I really truly believe that through this passage, Jesus is pleading with us. Hey, whatever you do, don't trust in me if you desire a cozier, cushier life. Don't trust in me if you want to skip the journey and go straight to the finish line. And so I want to share that with you because if you ever, wherever you go, if you ever hear some guy with a mic telling you that life is going to be simpler or easier or that you're going to be skinnier or wealthier or, or more popular or have more hair because you're following Jesus, run. Because while it's true that life is better with Jesus at the center, it's also harder because a spiritual heart transplant is tough. Switching to a new bullseye, new values, new priorities, that, that requires suffering. It's hard. It, it's also riskier. It's also messier because it's messy to die to yourself, to get humbled and to empathize with other people's brokenness, to be vulnerable. It, it's costlier. That's why G.K. Chesterton must have just dropped the mic after he said this. Following Jesus has not been tried and found deficient. It's been found difficult and left untried. And guys, you know this, a harder, riskier, messier, costlier life with Jesus at the center is fuller, stronger, richer, deeper, better. Following Jesus is harder, but it's better. So guys, listen, I did not come here to impress you. I came here to impact you with this truth Believe me when I say I could not care less if you remember my name. In fact, I'd rather you didn't. What I'm desperate for you to remember is this truth. You cannot love Jesus from the land of Ish. If he's off center, you are off target. But if you trust him personally, you will experience him powerfully and you'll develop the desire to join him on a journey in your life to remake and to renew you so that you can experience life to the fullness. You will come to really know that life is better with Jesus at the center. Would you pray with me? So Jesus, we know we need your help with this. We do not wanna to try to do this on our own because that's not how you designed it. We need your strength. We need your presence and your power in our lives to be able to do this. And you've told us in your word that we have not because we ask not. And so right now, we want to specifically ask, help us to know you, to really know you, to experience you. God, for some, in the sound of my voice, it's the very first time that they've had this desire, they recognize this need in their hearts to really know you. And I pray that right now, in this moment, in the quietness of their own heart, to your mind, to your heart, that they would say to you, Jesus, I want to know you. Jesus, I really want to know you. Would you come into my life and make me new? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you give me new life and hope and purpose? 
because I really, really wanna know you. I wanna experience you. God, all of us say, please help us to experience you more deeply, deepen our appetite and our desire for you because we believe that this is true. Life is better with you at the center. If you agreed with this prayer, would you say amen? Hey, thanks so much, Lake Point. Every blessing, everybody. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. Lake Point.